one. I don't know how far we're going to get. I got a whole bunch of slides, but I don't know. We'll just see where the Spirit of God leads us this morning. <clears throat> My, the pastor that trained me, he said, a lot of preachers fall into two categories. Uh, some got information and no inspiration, and some got inspiration with no information. And uh, I don't want to be on either extreme, so... I got a lot of information, but it would be great if I could have some inspiration too. And uh, if we're not feeling the inspiration, we won't continue on and on with the information. Because uh, the, the, uh, the mind can only, uh, you know, take, absorb what the seat can endure. That's the, uh, an old adage we heard when we were being trained. But anyway, Revelation chapter 1, we covered the prologue last week. So let's look in... Uh, Let's go to the first slide. We will get that far. Um, last week we looked at the prologue and <clears throat> the chain of command. Let's, uh, let's do some question and answer here. The revelation that God gave unto who? Right. It <laughs> gave it unto Jesus. A lot of people don't realize that. The revelation that God gave unto Jesus, verse 1, and then he showed it unto his servants through, he signified it by his angel, and then gave it unto uh, to John. John bear record of the testimony. Then in verse 3, we got the blessing. There's a blessing for the hearer and for the, the heater, the one that would pay attention and do what God says to do. Then John gives a greeting, and he gives a greeting from all three members of the Trinity. From the, uh, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. Then we get to the major uh, theme of the book, which is that Jesus is coming again. Do you believe that? Yes. He's coming again. He's coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him, and even those that pierced Him. And all the kindreds of the earth, even so, amen. Praise God. We closed last week with verse 8. Uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. And what I want to draw your attention to today is that many of the names uh, used exclusively for God Almighty are going to be used uh, to refer to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, we are to infer, uh, and, and it's explicitly stated, we, we don't have to do any detective work here, is that Jesus Christ is God. The Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, don't, don't ask me to explain the Trinity, but the, 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 the truth of it is there uh, in the Scripture. Let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> All right. Now, we get to uh, verse, one, verse 9, rather. <laughs> and we may not get any further than verse 9 today. I don't know, just kind of feeling weird this morning. Because, not weird in a good way, not weird in a bad way. Notice what John says, I, John. Now this is the third time that John is named uh, in this letter. And this is reminiscent of how the Old Testament prophets would, would uh, greet. Eyewitness accounts, you know, I, Daniel, Daniel saw 
He witnessed with his own eyes, and he was a, um, and this was an apocalyptic vision, Daniel, just like uh, Revelation. It also uh, claims authority, you know, that, that you can believe what John says. John is the last living apostle. He's the last one uh, that's left, and his witness is true. He's a reliable, uh, faithful witness. We can take him at his word. And he was there at the cross with Jesus. And I want you to consider this man for a moment. Um, totally going to deviate from the notes here for a little bit. Um, I want you to consider John. John was clearly in the inner circle with Jesus. You always see Peter, James, and John together. John and Jesus, I believe, were very close friends. Maybe you could say he's one of his best friends. We see that John's leaning on the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper, listening to his heartbeat, presumably. Very close to him. At the cross, now Jesus had brothers and sisters. I know the Catholic Church doesn't teach that, but he did. He had brothers and sisters. But at the cross, Jesus committed the keeping of his mother not to a sibling, but to who? John. To John. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. And here John has come. John's probably in his 90s at this point. I believe in the late date of Revelation. Uh, we talked about that in the introduction. But here John is at the end. He is the last living apostle. And he is banished to the Isle of Patmos, just off the Aegean Sea. This little Greek island doesn't appear on a lot of maps. So it's, it's just maybe eight miles, I think, long, I read, eight or nine miles long. And there's some traditions that say that John was forced to work in the mines. I can't corroborate that, obviously. But, but you think about that. I mean, here he's lived his whole life, best, Jesus' best friend. He's taking care of Jesus' mother. He's preached the word of God. And here he is on the island of Patmos. And I, and I just wonder, because I'm a human, and I think about things like that. What was John thinking to himself? I'm sure there were a lot of solitary moments there on the island. Thinking, you know, Jesus, is this how it ends for me? I've had a lot of highs. You know, I've had a lot of wonderful things happen in my life. God, you've used me in marvelous ways. But is this how it ends? You know? And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here this morning. But I wonder how many of us, we've served the Lord. And we've, we've tried to dedicate our lives to Him. But we find ourselves in very trying circumstances. You have to remember, what John is writing here out of his pain. It's not a picnic. When John, John's in prison, but it's not like a modern prison. He's not lifting weights and... You know, got a Wi-Fi connection and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he's, it's unpleasant. And he's writing this out of his pain. And I just wonder how many of us can relate to that this morning. Anybody can relate to it in here about pain? Uh, not just physical pain, but emotional pain, emotional trauma, mental trauma. 
This has been uh, a tough year, tough couple of years for a lot of us. And not just because of COVID. Been a lot of trying circumstances. And, and God's word to you today is that he is with you on your personal island of Patmos. He's with you. And out of John's pain, he received the greatest revelation of Jesus Christ anybody's ever seen. And so I want to say to you, uh, in your pain and in your personal Isle of Patmos here today, God, I'm not promising or prophesying, but I'm saying open yourself up to the possibility that God may reveal himself to you in a way that he has never, in a greater degree than he's ever done before. John's experience was common to the early Christians. Rome was the, the great empire of the world. Um, Christianity was becoming increasingly less popular. Christians were the scum of the earth. They were the uh, enemy of the state. And um, what we've experienced the last couple hundred years in America is actually not the norm of church history. Christians were persecuted. And don't be surprised if it comes here eventually. But God is with us through it all. Now John, he addresses these churches not as the Apostle John, not as the best friend of Jesus, not as he did in the gospel as the one Jesus loves. But he said, I am your brother. I am your brother. You know, there's a lot of preachers that could take a good lesson out of this. We get to be such big shots. And, and listen, every one of us preachers put our pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else does. We have problems just like the layperson does. We have sorrows and joys. And uh, John, he said, I'm your brother. But I like this word. I can't pronounce it in Greek, so I'm not going to try to. But he says, I'm your companion. I'm in this with you. Church, I want you to know as your pastor, I'm in the fight with you. I love you. I'm struggling with you. When you hurt, I hurt. I can't remember who I was telling this the other day. I think I was talking to Richard. I, I was talking to Richard and Dee. And you know one of the toughest, I had COVID over the holidays, most of you know that. But you know one of the most difficult things for me during that time period is that I knew that a lot of you were sick and a lot of you were struggling and I knew I couldn't have any contact with you other, other than being on the phone. And the mental, the mental strain of that, I'm just being transparent with you here. The mental strain of that was almost as difficult as the dealing with the COVID uh, itself. And so, uh, John said, I'm your companion. And I want you to know, church, I'm your companion. I'm your pastor, but I'm also your brother. And I'm your friend. And I share in the struggle with you. God's called me to pastor the church, but I am still 
a human being in need of the grace of God. And John says, I'm your companion in three things. He didn't say, I'm your companion in miracles. I'm your companion in preaching. I'm your companion in being an exalted apostle. He says, I'm your companion. What's the first word there? Tribulation. Tribulation. Greek word is thelipsis. And uh, interesting study about that word. The first definition that comes up for thelipsis is not tribulation, but pressure. It carries with it the idea of being pressed into a, a narrow opening. And I wonder how many of us can relate to that. You, the pressures of life come to us, and you feel, sometimes you just feel, uh, for lack of a better word, you just feel hemmed in. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I can't run, I, I can't run from this thing. You know, Jonah wanted to run from, uh, from God. But sometimes God will have you in a place where you, you just can't run. You know? John couldn't leave Patmos, could he? I mean, there was no jet ski uh, to get him off of there. There was no Clint Eastwood to help him escape from Alcatraz. My favorite Clint Eastwood movie, by the way. But uh, uh, there, there was no way. I mean, he's there. He's there. With, and many times, God, by design and by his sovereign plan, will have you in a spot where you can't turn to the right or to the left. And you can't depend on anybody else but him. But what you'll find is that when God is all you have, he's all you need. He's all you need. Pressure, affliction, translated often as tribulation. The next word is the kingdom. Praise God for that. Now some will say, well, we're in the kingdom now. Well, we're in the spiritual aspect of it for sure. But we're not in the physical kingdom yet. John was not ruling and reigning on the Isle of Patmos. He was possibly working in the mines. You and I are part of a kingdom. And we need to be reminded of that. That the kingdoms of this world will one day be the kingdom of God. And Jesus Christ will rule over everything. And also the patience. The Greek word is hupomene. I like uh, the King James. I preach out of it. But I think some of the others translate it better as perseverance. Because it doesn't carry with it the idea of just waiting it out. A lot of people say, well, I'm waiting on God. I'm waiting it out. But in the meantime, they're miserable. They're complaining. They're murmuring. They're backbiting. They're whispering. They're gossiping. But this means to bear up under difficult circumstances. That's what hupomene means. It's to bear up under difficult circumstances. There are some things, my friend, that you are not intended to conquer, but you are intended to survive. Some trials are not for you to walk, you know, to walk on the water with. Some trials you are meant to, to survive. And God will sustain you in the midst of your trouble. Bearing up 
in the midst of difficult circumstances. And notice this bearing up is done in Jesus. Understand that God is in control. Let's go to the next slide. Let's read some scriptures this morning. Who wants to read some scripture? Adam, you, want to, you look like you want to read some this morning. You can just read them up on the, the board there if you want to. Yeah. Jesus says in John 16 that there's a promise for every believer. It's a twofold promise. Would you read that, Adam? Just John 16 to start with. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have trouble, tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You know what the Greek word there is? It's thalipsis. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. People say, well, I believe all the promises of God. Do you? Well, God promised you that if you, if you live for Him, you're going to have trouble. But, but, He said you can be of good cheer because Christ has overcome the world. So at the end of the day, if you're a believer in Christ, you're on the winning side. <laughs> See, I love the fact that I serve a Savior who is victorious. He is victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And there's nothing that I can't overcome in this life because I serve the great overcomer. The one who has overcome death and the grave, and he's alive forevermore. Now Paul, in his preaching, he didn't preach easy believism. Uh, Now getting saved is easy. Brother Wayne Linker, he's gone on to be with the Lord, but he was uh, one of the first men that discipled me when I got saved. And... uh, and I was just, I grew up thinking that, that becoming a Christian was like the most difficult thing in, in the world. And I finally got saved and I told Wayne, I said, I can't believe how easy that was. And Wayne said, Henry, he said, getting saved is as easy as falling off a log. <laughs> he said, that's not, but living for God is another story. Amen. And so in Acts 14, uh, Paul after he had, you know, Paul's, Paul's crusades were a lot different than ours. We do crusades, and, you know, we'll have whatever. I'm not, I'm not talking about Anson County, but I'm talking about in general. We have crusades, and there may be 500 decisions or 1,000 decisions, and what do we do? We hand them a pamphlet, and we say, attend the church of your choice. Right? And then a year from now, you try to check up on these people, and they're nowhere to be found. And I believe a lot of it is because we don't disciple new believers and we don't prepare them for what's about to happen. You know, when somebody gets saved, the first thing we ought to do is rejoice. We ought to just do the holy do do you know. The Bible says that the angels rejoice. Um, and so we ought to be rejoicing too. But the next thing we ought to do is say, all right, everybody, you need to pray for this person because all hell's about to break loose in their life. Because they've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And, uh, but we don't do that. We just say, all right, praise God, you got it now. <laughs> and, uh, and they're not prepared. 
babes in Christ, and they need to be told. If you flip through Christian television, the preacher's telling me, I need to, leave, I need to live my best life now. Every day's Friday, which means nothing to me as a preacher. You know, every day is whatever. But what does Paul do? Adam, I didn't mean to keep on rambling. Would you read that scripture from Acts? Same Greek word there, philipsis. We must continue in the faith, and we must, uh, through much tribulation, enter into the what? The kingdom. What did John say? I'm your companion in pressure and suffering, uh, in the kingdom, and in perseverance. All right, would you read uh, 2 Timothy? You know, I just wonder, have you ever read the life of Paul? I mean, just kind of st- went through the book of Acts and studied his life. Everywhere he went, he di- did he receive a warm reception? Now, among some he did, of course. There was always a remnant. But most of the places Paul went, there was a riot. And I don't mean that in a good way. There was, a, there was an upheaval in the city. And how is it that now our preachers, everywhere they go, we roll out the red carpet for them? It just makes me wonder, how is it that Paul had such trouble and we get along so good with the world? It may be that we're not preaching the truth. We're tickling ears. We're telling everybody, you just, you know, just live your way. You got your truth and I got my truth. Uh, that's, uh, but, but Paul said, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Do you know that right now, as we speak, there are people around the world who are being killed because they believe in Jesus Christ. And we're so far removed from that that we can't appreciate it. But right now, somewhere... Somebody's being faced with a decision. Do I deny Christ and live, or do I stay faithful and die? And so at the end of this service, I want us to pray for the persecuted church everywhere. All right, would you read Romans 5 for me, Adam? Now here, we've got a couple more of our, of our Greek words here. We've got um, tribulation, philipsis, and we also have uh, hupomene, perseverance. Do you see the process there? That it's not instant, easy-bake oven, but we glory in trouble or tribulation. Let me ask you, do you do that? When was the last time you said, praise God, things are going terrible? 
I, I don't. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't. What's our default mode? Why me, Lord? I can't imagine why I'm going through all this difficulty. Because the Bible says you would. The scriptures teach that you'll have trouble. Um, but there's a process there. We glory in tribulation. Why? Just, just for the heck of it? Man, I love it when bad things happen. No. We do it because it's building character. It's building perseverance. Uh, it's, it's helping. And listen, there's, there's some things that you just, you're only going to learn the hard way by going through it. And, uh, but I'll tell you the truth, I would, a lot more, I would much rather listen to someone who's been through something give me advice. I remember I sat through a parenting uh, seminar one time, and, and the lady lecturing didn't have any kids. <laughs> you know, and I know everybody can't have children, and I, and I understand that, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be insensitive to that, but I just thought, this is the strangest thing. This woman has not a clue what it's like to raise a kid, especially a teenager, amen? And, you know, and I'm just listening to her say, well, if you just do this and this will happen and you do this and this will happen, I'm thinking, yep, you don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. And, and I'm not insinuating that only a drug, you know, somebody that's been through drug addiction can counsel somebody. I, you know, that you have to have, be a heart patient in order to be a, a doctor to work on, you know. I'm not suggesting that, but I am su- suggesting this, that God's at work in your life to build a testimony. And that the more things you go through, the more powerful your testimony will be in the end. We're still in verse 9, aren't we? (laughs) Good heavens. Okay. John says, I was in the isle that is called Patmos for two things. He was an enemy of the state. Think, Think about this. This 90-year-old man is the enemy of the state. Now, Nero, his MO was to behead people. You know, he killed Paul and Peter. He beheaded them. Domitian, his deal was to banish people, put them in exile. John was on Patmos because he was faithful to God. Sometimes you suffer for doing the right thing. And you need to understand that. Because a lot of us think, well, if I do, what, if I do God's will, only good things will happen to me. And that's not true. Not true at all. Verse 10. May not get much further. Now, he was on the island of Patmos, but he was in the Spirit. On the Lord's day, and he heard behind him a great voice as of a trumpet. In pneumate in Greek, um, how exactly do we describe this? Uh, I don't know fully, but I know that he was under the complete and total control of the Holy Spirit. Completely. And I'm not suggesting that you and I will have an experience like John, okay? So don't get me wrong. 
But I, let, me, let me just offer this by way of practical application. That I believe when we are in our difficulty, we need more than ever to be filled with Christ's Holy Spirit. I believe that we need to be continually filled with the Spirit. When was the last time? Don't, you don't, don't answer out loud. But when was the last time you asked Christ to fill you with the Holy Spirit? You say, well, I'm saved. I've got the Holy Spirit. Yes. If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. But Ephesians chapter 5 says that we are to be continually filled with the Spirit. When was the last time that you said, Lord, fill me with your Spirit? A lot of us, a lot of us are, um, are warning like Christians. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But, guys, do you ever get in your wife's car? My wife doesn't do this, thank, thankfully. Guys, do you ever get in your wife's car, and as soon as you crank it up, the gas light comes on, the fuel light is on? Women like to run it closed for some reason. Men don't, are not as bad about that. You ever read, ride in the car with somebody, and that light's on, and it's been on for a while? And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. I know my car. <laughs> we, we're, we're good for 20 more miles, and they're passing gas stations. <laughs> right and left. There's a lot of Christians like that. Your gas light is on. All the warning signs are saying, hey, you need to be filled again. And we're like, well, I'm good. I got 20 more miles left in me. Right? I, I got three more ish, uh, instances of bad traffic and bad co-workers. I can get through it. We need to be filled with the Spirit. John was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And you can read the commentaries. And they're split down the middle uh, on what that expression means. Some say that it means Sunday. The, the, the issue with that, if there is any, is that this is the only place that the phrase the Lord's Day is used. Other times Sunday is called the first day of the week. Now, in favor of this view, after that, Sunday did become widely referred to as the Lord's Day. Now, one thing I will quibble with you about, don't call Sunday the Sabbath day, because it's not. I won't argue with you if you call Sunday the Lord's day. You know why? Because every day is the day the Lord has made. Well, preacher, what do you do when it's Friday the 13th? Same thing I do on Saturday the 14th, because this is the day the Lord's made. Well, what do you do on October 31st? Well, the first thing I do is wish everybody a happy birthday that was born on that day. Right, Sharon? And then I praise the Lord, just like I do every other day. The devil doesn't have any days. You know why? Because he's not a creator. He's a destroyer. Every day is the day the Lord has made. Whether it's Friday the 13th or Halloween or whatever. Whatever day you want to call it. Now... Some see this as the day of the Lord, meaning the eschatological day of the Lord. You know, the, the end time. And that may be true, but the wording is, is unique here. Usually, 
when, that, when the end time is uh, intended, it says the day of the Lord. And here it says the Lord's day. The Greek actually, the way the Greek actually reads, it was a lordy day. A lordy kind of day. And when you think about it, from John's perspective, it must have been some more kind of day. He started out on Patmos with whatever his rations were. <laughs> you think they had eggs on Patmos? I don't know. Can't find them here, can we? Uh, but anyway, I digress. But uh, he started out with breakfast or whatever. But then he's transported all the way into our day or beyond our day. John's never seen an airplane. He's never seen, you know. Uh, imagine Benjamin Franklin came back from the dead. And he came in here today and, you know, we're here live streaming our services. I wonder what he would think. People with cellular devices. But John has to digest all of this in one, you know, perhaps one, one sitting, one day. It must have been overwhelming for him. But he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Whatever your view is on that, he was completely under the control of the Holy Spirit. And he was being shown things directly by Jesus Christ, by the angel uh, that, that was sent to him. And he heard behind him a great voice as of a trumpet. Is that what it says? Um, let's go to the... Next slide here, possibly our last one. Adam, are you able to read that from where you sit? Yes. We're looking at Exodus 19. Now, there are tons of allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. Most of the people that say, well, you can't understand the book of Revelation, it's because they've never read the Old Testament. Out of 404 verses, there's over 200 allusions to the Old Testament, but no direct quotes, interestingly enough. But I think we're to hearken back to Exodus 19. Exodus 19. Would you read that, Brother Adam? Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they sat at his feet of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke. Because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the, the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and came louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. All right, thank you. So, when the law was given at Mount Sinai, there was a trumpet blast. Now, a trumpet, um, it calls to attention, doesn't it? It calls us to attention. It calls us to... Um, the things that are going to be said are important. And so, John at the very outset is, here's the voice of God, like a trumpet. All right, let's go to verse 11. Saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first... And the last. Now, some translations don't have that. I understand. 
King James does, different manuscript. Um, but this is a title, the first and the last, that is ascribed to the Father. And so we are clearly to, to see here, to, to draw the conclusion, that Jesus Christ is God. Now he's told, what you see, write. I'm glad God didn't give me the book of Revelation. Because y'all would be sunk. Because I can't draw. And I darn sure can't write. Anybody tried to read my handwriting before? It's It's difficult. I miss my calling as a doctor. But uh, I'm glad that I didn't write the book of Revelation. And, uh, and scholars have noted that John's writing style was a little different in Revelation than it is in the Gospels. But I think that if you had been scared out of your wits like John was, and God says, all right, I need you to sit down and write down everything you're seeing, you, you might be just a little jumpy. Your, your hand might shake just a little bit. Now, this is uh, one of 12 times that John's going to be told to write what he sees. One time he'll be told not to write. We'll get to that later. Now, he writes in a what? A book. Greek word is biblion. It means a scroll. And this scroll would have been the cheaper material, the uh, papyrus. It's not the parchment, which was made out of animal skins. So this thing would have been a long scroll. And it would have been delivered to the seven churches. He said, write in a book and send it to seven churches. Now we're going to see the seal of seven throughout the book of Revelation. I want to challenge you to count how many times we find seven of something in the book of Revelation. And I think you'll be amazed. You see all the, the sevens in the Bible. Now, were there more than seven churches in Ephesus, or excuse me, in Asia? Yes, of course, Hierapolis, um, Colossae, so on and so forth. And understand, too, when we're talking about Asia, don't think about China or the continent of Asia as we know it. It's modern-day Turkey. This is where uh, Asia is. Now, seven is that number of completion or perfection. But I don't believe these seven churches are symbolic. I believe that they're literal churches. Real churches in real places. And guess what? Every one of these churches, for the most part, have got real problems. <laughs> and they're going to get a report card from Jesus called the seven letters. Paul wrote to seven churches. Jesus is going to write to seven churches. And in those seven churches, I believe that we'll see a little bit of every church in these churches they have problems some think they're doing well and they're not doing well others think they're not doing so well and Christ says you're doing good but I want you to think on this as we close this morning what if Jesus was to write a letter to Deep Springs today seriously I mean I want you to think about that I thought about it all week what if Jesus were to write a letter to Deep Springs what if, he, what if he did? What would he say? What would he say about me 
And I tell you what, that's what's given me a great deal of pause this week as I thought. God, what would you say about me first? What would you say about this church as a whole? Now, one thing you'll notice as we go through the letters to the churches, and I'm sorry we didn't finish chapter 1 today. I wanted to, and it, but the Spirit of God just did not lead me in that direction. But um, as we, when we go through the seven churches, I want you to pay attention to the structure and to most of the churches, not all. Jesus didn't have all bad things to say. He had some good things to say. And I think when you think about your church, you ought to be able to find some good things about it. It's easy to find out what's wrong, amen? If you don't believe it, just sit at one of our deacons' meetings, right? <laughs> and there's a litany of things, well, you know, so-and-so is not happy about this, and so-and-so is not happy about that. But there's a lot of good. The world thinks very low of the church, and I've met a lot of Christians that don't think much of the church, and it's a shame. Because Jesus left the church. Jesus died for the church. He purchased it with his own blood. And so be very careful how you deal with God's church and with God's people. Very important. Because Christ, we're going to see Christ takes this stuff very seriously. He walks in the midst of the golden candlesticks or lampstands. He's Lord of the church. I'm not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the Lord of the church. This is His church that He purchased with His own blood. And I got to do the best job that I can to take care of His church and His flock and feed them and hopefully... One day here, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Be ruler over many. I want us to think this morning. Think about the trouble that you're in. Think about what's keeping you up at night. What is it that gives you the greatest deal of anxiety right now? Is it your health? Is it your relationships? Is it your finances? Some of, you, some of you today may be dreading a doctor's appointment later on in the week. Like Sharon said, we never know. One doctor's report could change your whole, you know, your whole outlook on things. We never know. You need to understand that Jesus Christ loves you, that he died for you. And that he is with you in the midst of all of your suffering. Think about your church. If Jesus were to write a letter to the church, what would he say to us? What would he find good? What would he find fault? And finally, this morning, and I'm going to open up the altar for us. I want you to think about all the Christians around the world. They're being martyred for their faith. Their experience, folks, is the norm. Ours is not normal. Their experience has been the norm throughout history. Almost all the apostles, I think, except for John, 
died a martyr's death. I want you to think about everybody right now. And the numbers are greatly uh, skewed. I believe the number is far higher than what they report. I want you to say a prayer for everybody that's being persecuted right now around the world. Would you stand? Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He came to this earth the first time. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for your sins and my sins. He paid the full penalty. Jesus paid the full price for your sin. It's totally paid for. You can go to heaven today. And if I can use this expression, your ticket has already been paid for. You can go to heaven today. Your ticket's been paid for. Somebody took your place. Somebody took your punishment. Somebody took, your pun- Somebody took the wrath of God that belonged to you on him on that cross. He became sin for us who knew no sin. That you and I be, might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I'm far from perfect. Yes, we all are. We all are. But the offer today, the great exchange, is that you trade in your filthy rags and Christ in return gives you not a 99.9 rating. He gives you His perfection. So when the Father sees you, He sees the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, the blood of Jesus covering your sins. That can be yours today. You don't have to sign a card. You don't even have to come to the altar. It's wonderful that you can make a demonstration of faith, but that's nowhere in the Bible that you have to come to an altar. Right where you are, you can believe and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And believe that He is the Son of God. And He is, my friend, coming again. No man knows the day or the hour, but we have a sure word of prophecy. that He says, if I go, I will come again and receive you into myself. That where I am, there you may be also. The offer still stands today. It may not tomorrow, because tomorrow may never come for some. How many young people do we see passing away just suddenly? How many people do we do every day? Nobody has the promise of tomorrow. This might be your last opportunity to respond before going out into eternity. We will all meet God one day, folks. We will all meet Him one day. There's an appointment we must keep with Him. And the only way to live forever with Him is to accept by faith the Son of God, Jesus Christ. I want you to come. And if you would, I'd like for you to pray for the suffering Christians throughout the world.